Hi, this is Amanda Wiss. I played Tina Gray in Nightmare on Elm Street, and you're listening to Elm Street Radio. Well, happy Friday, a Nightmare on Elm Street fans. Happy Freddy Krueger Friday. Deandra here. Paige here. And welcome to this week's edition of Elm Street Radio. And what an edition it is, because this week is the first week we actually head to Springwood. We're having our very first Elm Street guest on just a little bit later, Amanda Wiss. Tina Gray from the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. Very excited to have her on today's episode. Being our very first Elm Street guest is is quite a treat considering her role in the Elm Street franchise. I'm um, really excited to have her on. I, I know she's been doing a slew of indie projects lately and I'm super excited to talk about her her new latest projects that she's involving and I know we've got some awesome questions that we're going to ask her and I've got some stuff I want to kind of bring up and ask her some things and I'm just really excited for her to be on. Yeah, I've got a lot of fan questions here from fans who have submitted questions over the last couple of days since we announced that Amanda was going to be on. Plus, I really want to get her insight into fandom because I noticed the other day she actually talked about Joan Jett and how she loves Joan Jett and about, you know, female's role in horror, whether it be from a character to people actually making movies. I mean, Manda's been a pretty big powerhouse in, in that area, so I'm really excited to see what she uh, what she has to say on that. Yeah, I am too. But before we get into Amanda, there is some Elm Street news we're going to be mentioning. Jesse Hutch Trey from Freddy vs. Jason, who was a complete jerk face, will be a guest at Flashback Weekend Chicago <laughs> Horror Con uh, this August, and I am very sure he is not the character that he portrays. And he is he is added to quite a slew of other Elm Street guests. Of course, Robert is going to be there, Ken Kurzinger is going to be there, Catherine Isabel, Amanda herself, Heather. Oh my goodness gracious, the list goes on. Toy Newkirk. It, it, it's incredible. It, it's going to be such a phenomenal, phenomenal show. And you know what? It looks like I'm going to be there and Paige is going to have a role, even though she's doing something pretty cool. She will actually be going to a convention a little bit after that that I will be heading to as well because, Paige, do you want to do the honors? Um, so, all you Elm Street fans, I hope that you have seen the news that was released today. Um, we are launching our documentary, Fred Heads. And we are so excited. DeAndre and the team will be at Flashback Weekend in Chicago. And um, we will all be together in, you know, Kentucky at Scarefest. And we're super excited to kind of talk a little bit about this documentary. Paige and I met nine years ago, I think, on the forums for the A Nightmare on Elm Street Companion or NightmareOnElmStreetFilms.com, which has been around for such a long time. Those days, those forums were booming. And Paige, I want to really honestly say, was like the first person I ever met as soon as I became an A Nightmare on Elm Street fan, because I am a late bloomer. Um, But we've been having a friendship that's been growing ever since. And gosh, last year, like late last year, mid last year, I'm not sure when it was. But the documentary Ghost Heads went up on Netflix. And we both watched it and Paige was talking about making a documentary like this for A Nightmare on Elm Street. And the both of us have been so involved in the community. And our friend Kim, who is also in our film company, Venn Pictures, with us. It's consisting of Paige, Kim, and myself on the executive board. And then we have our friend Anthony, whom all of you met last week when we talked about Dream Warriors, Taylor, and a bunch of other crew members. Um, and we decided to, to make Fred Heads and, you know, Paige is the director on this Mm -hmm. and she's really going forward full force. And this is a story that is about 
all of us, not, not, I'm not talking about, you know, us here, us two, our, our team alone. I'm talking about the worldwide global phenomenon that is the A Nightmare on Elm Street fandom. Because I know you, if you are listening to this, you are an Elm Street fan. If you are listening to this and you're not, welcome. Uh, you have a lot to learn. But we're glad that you're here. It's a good place to start. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, Paige, do you want to say anything else about Fredheads? Yeah. Let them know where they can find Fredheads. You know, um, before I let them know where they can find Fredheads, okay. I, I really think that the the theme of it is is it's about the fandom for the fans and by the fans. And, and that's something that we're really trying to stress is that, you know, we, <clears throat> we get to hear these amazing stories and, and they're all different, but then they're all similar. And we get to hear how this film has really touched so many people's lives. And, you know, it has brought me to my best friends and, and people that I call my family. And so for me, I, I think that there's so many stories like this out there. And, and that's why we want to tell these stories. And we really want the fans to know that this is your story that we're going to be telling. And, and, you know, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at FredHeadsDoc. Um, we're updating all the time. We have a really great, you know, PR team and marketing team. And, and we're all really super active on social media. And and we're going to be doing some live Facebooks. Deandra um, did a really amazing live Facebook, kind of like announcing and launching. And um, we're just, things are really going to be really great and and we're super excited and we're super excited to bring this to the fans and have the fans involved and and we want to hear like we said from from everybody so there will be details on on our media pages on how to get involved with that there we've been getting a lot of inquiries but please be patient because uh there's a lot of stuff we want to work out that we we make sure that you know you're taken care of and, and you have guidelines and that you have the best chance of being in this awesome documentary because we want to hear from everybody. I mean, as many people as possible. Send us your story because every story counts and pardon us if we're a little excited because we love meeting new Elm Street fans. So you can find us on Facebook at Fred Heads Doc, Fred Heads the Documentary, or you can find us on Twitter at Fred Heads Doc. F-R-E-D-H-E-A-D-S-D-O-C, Fred Heads Doc. And then you can get in on the conversation with hashtag Fred Heads Doc. So we hope to see you around. And um, I guess it's Elm Street time, Paige. Are you ready for it? I am so ready for this. Are you ready for this? <sighs> well, I would say I'm ready for Freddy, but we don't have Freddy. We have Tina and... I love Tina, and when I first watched A Nightmare on Elm Street, I the the death of Tina really affected me because of someone she reminded me of, and Tina has meant a lot to me ever since. And Amanda is just such a a wonderful person, and she's a treat to meet at conventions, and she loves talking to her fans every single time. I I agree. I I just am so excited to have her on. All right, well, fans. Let's head down Elm Street. When I woke up, it seemed like you were still in the room with me. Sounds like a real boogeyman. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. And that's what it reminded me of, that old jump rope song. It was the worst nightmare I ever had. You wouldn't believe it. Matter of fact, I had a bad dream last night myself. I had a heart on this morning when I woke up, Tina. Had your name written all over it. There's four letters in my name, Rod. How could there be room on your joint for four letters? <laughs> hey, up yours with a twirling lawnmower. Nah. Rod's is the sweetest thing. Oh, he's not so bad, yeah, too. Anyway, I couldn't go back to sleep last night. So what do you dream? Well, Elm Street fans, this week we have a really, truly fantastic guest for you. This is the first victim on screen of Freddy and, fittingly, our first Elm Street guest. Please welcome Amanda West, a.k.a. Tina Gray. Hey, Amanda, how's it going? Hi, I'm great. That was a fun introduction, I must say. <laughs> I love that, the first in the first. Yeah, we thought it was perfectly fitting to have you be our number one. Aw, well, thank you. I'm honored. Yeah. We're so excited to have you. 
um, like super excited. We feel honored that you're you're doing this. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm gonna just kind of jump right in. I uh, there's something that I have always wanted to know for years. So I'm gonna ask you, and I just want to kind of start it off with this. Um, I recently watched Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And one of the biggest, like, fan questions is, is were you ever approached to do a cameo in that funeral scene? Because that funeral scene would have been <clears throat> perfect if you would have been in it, just because the Tina homage and because you and Heather are really good friends. And it, it's a yeah. huge fan thing that we were like, oh, my God, it, it would have been perfect if you were in there. Um, they did approach me with... Um, uh, we just couldn't work out the deal. They they um, were they offered me a horrible offer, and um, they they wouldn't change, and so I passed. Um, I, and but I loved that movie, and um, uh, it would have been great, but they were insulting, and so I passed on it. Oh heck no! Stand your ground. I'm I'm all yeah. for yeah. I'm all for that. It was, it was, like, it was crazy. So, um, and and sat and and to their detriment, um, the producers they they were just um, ignorant of the how powerful that moment would have been, and um, and they were disrespectful, and so I passed. I I'm I can't believe that that they would they would go that low, considering everything with the franchise, as, as Paige had mentioned, and, and your relationship with Heather, it just makes absolutely no sense. And so that's really disappointing, because I know that would have been an excellent addition to the scene, considering some of the people who were there. And I know the fans would have loved it. And I know that, you know, you go to conventions all the time. And I, I know that fans talk to you all the time about their stories. And I know that would have probably been a nice nice little cherry on top of, of everything they feel about the Elm Street fandom to have you in that scene. Um. And speaking of, of fandom, <clears throat> last night I saw your post on Instagram about Joan Jett, and I had no idea that you were such a big Joan Jett fan. Yes. I, oh my gosh. She just, um... When I was a, a you know a, a young girl, she just represented such power and a wild abandon and such immense talent and somebody that merged a, a sense of self and self determination and confidence. And she didn't. She knew what she deserved and her worth, and I just felt like she was just wild in power and in herself, and just made great music and is an amazing guitar player. And um, and I, I'm actually now through the years I've become through a series of bizarre events. I'm very good friends with her sister that just happens oh. to have happened, um, you know, and she's the one who gave me that T-shirt. <laughs> Probably to get me to stop talking about her sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, so cool. That is really awesome. And that, that kind of made me think, you know, I, I, since, you know, you're a fan of her and you're such a big fan and, and you come into contact with fans all the time, does sometimes when you interact with people at conventions or on Twitter or online or in any way, shape or form, kind of bring you back to your, your own fandoms of the different things that you enjoy? Yes. I mean, I think we can all, first of all, I'm so grateful that anyone that, that I've touched, I'm so grateful that anything that I've ever done as an actor touches, has, has meant something to someone else. And that when they come up to share their story with me, I, I feel really honored. And I, I feel like that's a gift and I treat it with a lot of respect because, um, getting to, it's they're very intimate exchanges actually I feel very responsible to I want to be really present for those I, I feel like that's that's part of my job I just think at, at, at when somebody comes up I, I if I've created a character that in some way means something to somebody else I, I feel really honored and I, I I want to have that connection and I think we all are fans of some things and you know 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm not thinking about that when people come up to talk to me, but like mm -hmm. I wrote about that yesterday because I was just reminded of, you know, being so overwhelmed because, and I wasn't even sure why she meant so much. She just did. I just enjoyed her and other people as well. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't think I've touched as many people as Joan Jett, but um, I, I feel really honored that people want to share their story with me. I mean, that is like a really special bond to have with people after you've created a character. I, I find it really, it's just interesting and fascinating and, and I like people. So I find it, I find it really remarkable to get to connect with so many people that I wouldn't otherwise connect with just yeah, by yeah. virtue of geography or whatever. Yeah. And That's so Oh, go ahead, Paige. I was going to say, that's so awesome. Because mm -hmm. when I saw that yesterday on your Instagram, I kind of laughed a little bit. Because reading your thing, I almost typed in the comments, that's how I was when I met you. <laughs> like, <laughs> so to me, it was like, to see like, you know, a friendship grow. And you're like, this, this is so cool. Because like, she's a fan of fandom too. And so I was mm -hmm. like, wow. I was like, it, it kind of shows that everybody is a fan of someone or something and and everyone has those moments. I think so. I mean, I think it's a real childlike delight and I think it's I mean, I think it would be a sad life not to have people that you admired outside of your, you know, a circle of people you know or I mean, I don't know, sometimes I think there's like these I don't even know what makes us fans of things, but I feel like it's a childlike delight in maybe something that we're dreaming of or aspiring to or feel we can never be or there's all kinds of, you know, permutations of that, but I think it, it's a childlike delight. Right, and I, I do think there are certain instances where you can pinpoint why you like something and certain instances when something just clicks. It could be the way a character talks, it could be a way they dress, something about them that you admire or something about that that is like you except they possess a trait that <clears throat> is something similar to what you want to be. So it's like you're almost there but you're not but there's that sense of familiarity that people love so much and you know talking about Tina, I I have to say, you, you certainly have made an impact on so many people, considering all the fans that are out there. And even though I wish there was more Tina, um, what you did do in the original Nightmare has left uh, a, a huge impact from, from something that, from, from being the first on screen and, and the way that Tina unfortunately dies, it's, it's, it's so tragic and powerful, and I think a lot of people at the same time relate to Tina. When I first watched Tina, she reminded me a lot of my best friend at the time, and it made me cry watching her pass on in such a, a terrible way because, and, and, and she continues to this day to just be such a great little saucy character who has her own little attitude and she's so next door at the same time and you just want to be friends with Tina and I think that having that relatability of a character on screen and being able to portray that is really powerful to people and I certainly feel that that Tina has been able to accomplish that. So what do you think the importance is of having characters on screen who are a little bit more human? Because I know people talk about today that characters are, are not human. They're, they're not like real teenagers and back then they were. What, what, what do you think is the importance of having people who are like actual teenagers in movies? Well, I think, um, in my opinion, I think there's a couple things that Wes did, I mean, for our movie in particular, um, but in the broader sense, I mean, I, I think for the audience to care and to follow the story in a really um, connected way and to be affected by the story, the characters need to somehow relate to them, whether it's, it could be an action movie, a romantic comedy, a horror film, 
Um, otherwise, you're you're just watching a series of events, or you're watching the cinematography, or you're like you're listening to the score. You're but you're not actually involved emotionally in the story. So I think it's really important to have relatable characters in in your movie. Uh, and I think what what Wes did, and I and I, other people have done it as well, is that. Heather and I were approachable, pretty girls. We weren't supermodels, but, you know, lovely young ladies. We were, we were babies with our baby fat, and um, we looked like the prettiest girls in everybody's small town. Do you know what I mean? We, mm-hmm. and we, so there was a relatability because it wasn't so out of anybody's reach that they could look like that or that they knew somebody like us. Mm-hmm. And we were really young, so that is helpful. And uh, Wes wrote very well for our age because he had daughters our age. Yeah. So I think there was a couple factors there that just for our particular film that really, like, let people feel connected to the story and but I think um we've all seen movies where the characters just aren't relatable for whatever reason or you know I and I think too that Heather and I like Tina whose life was the most tragic was the most the most sort of like bubbly and optimistic at the beginning of the film and that's really relatable because I think a lot of teenagers do that while they're going through drama at home and they look for love from boys instead of having self-confidence or whatever. And and Heather was more the quiet, determined, you know, uh, you know, s- steady-as-you-go person. And um, I think we all knew girls like that. So, I mean, he, he wrote... He wasn't afraid for us to go to explore, like, the strength of teenage girls. Do you know what I mean? Right. We weren't just oh, there's a pretty girl scantily clad in the corner, and then, you know, she, I don't know where, where you're going, well, I don't relate to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so there's like there's that element of truth to it that is so important. And not just writing a, a story with characters who just happen to fit, but writing people who are, who are true. I yes. think that um, that is one of the reasons why when we talk about how this film relates to so many people, that that's why it relates to so many people. I know for me, you know, not to discredit any other horror film, but for me, I really do relate to Nightmare so much because it's not about some, some dumb girl running and tripping. You know, it's about, you know, smart girls. I think Wes putting smart female characters on screen was so important. And I think that that's why it resonates with so many of us and why still 30 plus years today, we're still talking about it and why it still has that such importance and, you know, female, female power, you know, and, and talking about Wes, you know, you, you've been doing a lot of films lately. Would you ever direct since, you know, Wes was such a great director. Would you ever direct? Um, (laughs) I could never, ever, ever compare myself to Wes because he was, um, just magic genius um yes down the road i would i there are some very beginning things in the works for me to um to steer the ship on so i'm super excited and and we'll see what happens with them but in no way am i comparing myself <laughs> no but, i just i know no. we were talking about what being a director and i just wanted to ask you because your body of work is so amazing like oh, you've done you. some really great things and and when i look at the roles that you've played like even recently like in the id you know you are oh, just God, yeah. an amazing actress and to me i just think like she should be directing as well, you know. So yeah. I was, it was something I was dying to ask if you were, if that was a role you were going to move into. Um, thank you for that lovely compliment. And yes, it is something that I am actively um, pursuing, and uh, there's nothing concrete yet. So, but my, that's that's the uh, the direction I I want to go into my dotage in. <laughs> And, and speaking of films and moving forward in projects, you have been extremely active in a lot of really incredible movies as of late. Like Paige said, The Id, which when I watched it, I mean, 
that really rocked my world. I knew it was going to be an intense film, but you tapped into something with that character that is so perfectly, believably disturbing and, and tragic at the same time. And I look at You've done 360 degrees of hell, where it was a 360 degree camera, something that I've never seen before in a film. You have a bunch of other films coming up. You have uh, The Hatred, Watcher of Park Avenue, The Capture, It Happened Again Last Night. Madison, could you talk about some of these films that you have coming up and, and certain elements that are present in them? Because I find that indie horror has so many great characters and so many of the great elements that are beloved by a lot of really iconic horror movies and just films in general. So could you talk a little bit about those projects moving forward? Yes. Um, well, 360 Degrees of Hell was, it was, that was a really interesting project. And there, the intention in the beginning was to make three of them. I, I hope that, I, I don't know where they are with that, but I'd never done virtual reality before, and that was really interesting and satisfying just um, figuring out that uh, medium, and I wish I could go back and redo the first day, you know, because I was like, oh, now I get it, but it was, it was really, really fun, and it's, it's one of the, it's one of the first, there has been others, narrative short horror films in, in the virtual reality. There's been a lot of really amazing non-narrative um, virtual reality horror films and there's there's a lot of work people are doing now to try to do feature length virtual reality and and things like that. And it's, a, it, it's a really fun medium and I, I hope that I get to do more in the VR world and um, they, the characters are, it's two, it's a, a, girl, a young lady, Lauren Compton, who's just fantastic, and myself looking for family members who have disappeared in this hotel. And um, it was crazy because it was a real-life haunted house experience. Um, it's called the Hotel of Terror. No, the, yeah, I think that's what it's called. My mind just went blank. Um, and, but there's real uh, characters that live this um, place. Like, that's what they do all year long is these characters, horrifying characters, um, as people walk through this uh, haunted hotel experience. And they, I, I literally, the entire time we were there, like I ended up with neck spasms. I was so tense and frightened the entire time oh because of everybody was, the people, the, the characters that these people have created are horrifying and they never get out of character. And so there was a couple of moments I'm like, damn, you all, we're making a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so the fear was real. <laughs> oh, my God. It was totally real. I was like, and then and, um, they, they, so one of them, like, le jumped out of, in one of the scenes, jumped out from behind something, not rehearsed or anything, and grabbed Lauren. And I freaked out and beat him over the head with a stick because I didn't even know it happened so fast. And in the end, they wear helmets because people do that. Um, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I just did that. But we were so tense the entire time. And I was like, oh, my God, don't do that. You can only do what's been rehearsed. <laughs> I clearly am going to beat you up. Um, so that I was like, oh, see, I always play the victim. But off camera, I actually was like, came to the rescue. I was like, oh, I never play that character. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and then, uh, so that, that was really fun. And uh, it's Harrison Smith directed it. And he has a movie coming out called Death House right now. And, and uh, a lot of other projects. He's just a really nice guy. And um, Watcher of Park Avenue is a movie that I ended up being in with Lisa Wilcox, also from Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, who just lovely, beautiful, talented Lisa Wilcox. And um, it's about, what can I say without giving it away? It, it, it takes place in New York. And we had so much fun filming it. And I played de Detective Samantha Warren, and she plays this, a beautiful socialite. And there's a serial killer on the loose. And it's, it's very tense and 
frightening. And um, we had a lot of fun working on that. And Ryan Burton is a, a young director or actor slash director, and he has a lot of projects in the works. And I think he's really talented. And um, I, I'm really glad I got to do that. And I, I hope I get to work with him again. And the same with Harrison. And then The Hatred, I just play a very small role in The Hatred. But it's a, such a good script. It's a supernatural ghost story horror film starring four really beautiful young ladies, um, one of whom is Jennifer Runyon's daughter, who I've known since the 80s when we were both doing movies in the 80s. Um, Bailey Corman is her daughter, and she's lovely, just like her mom. And um, some other actresses, and a young actress named Shay, who I just... I So, I play the mother in this movie with David Naughton. So, David Naughton and I only do movies, apparently, when we play husband and wife, because that's what we do. Um, but uh, <laughs> our daughter was Shay, um, this incredibly talented young actress um, who's 11, who's just dynamite. And I just finished a movie last week where I played her therapist. And I was like, "What? A, it's such a small world. And... I when they sent me the cast list and I called her and she was like, "No way!" She's a, she's a doll. So that was a movie. That's a movie called Madison that I did with um, Haley Duff and uh, some other amazing actors. That uh, it's it's incredibly scary and um, that it's a little indie film. And then. Um, the Hatred, it, that comes out in September, and it's directed by Mike Michael Kehoe, and if anybody is in Los Angeles in at the end of October, we are all the cast um, doing a panel at the Stanley Comic Con uh, about the movie The Hatred, so that'll be fun, and everybody can meet the, the, the lovely young ladies who star in this, who are very talented, dynamic, uh, fierce young gals who... Uh, I think we'll all have a bright future ahead of them. And what was the other one? There was it happened Madison. again last night. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is very wonderful. It's an amazing short story, a short film about, well, first of all, directed by Gabrielle Stone and co-directed by um, uh, Rose who is, himself is a really good director as well, and they wrote it together as well, and it's about uh, domestic violence, and it's very well done, and it's just, I play her mother, and I'm just, it's such a nice, it's such a great script and powerful and important about um, violence and, uh, you know, being able to love whoever you want, whatever your sexual, deter you know, orientation, and just, it's, I don't want to give too much away in case people want to see it, but it's in the festivals right now, and it's doing very well, and Gabrielle has won, they've won Best Directing Awards, and she's won a Best Actress Award, and um, I'm just, it's it's a really nice, well-done film, and I'm really proud to be in it, and, and proud to be directed by a woman, because in my entire career, I have only been directed by six women, which I oh just gosh. don't understand. I don't, I, it's just... One of those things where you go, wow. And um, so, at which I hope is rectified by, you know, before the end of my days. I hope I work with many more female storytellers and because, not because one's better or worse, just because of the, the balance and the perspective and the, you know, the different energy and the different point of view that I, I just think is really powerful and important and adds to the balance of what we're putting out into the world. I couldn't agree more on Look that subject. I. I think that <laughs> that's why the indie indie world right now is so big and it's so important because, you know, Hollywood is, is very sexist. And so the indie world is, you know what, we're going to make our own films then, you know, so many of us, <laughs> want to to have these projects and make these projects well we're just gonna do them and i i'm proud that there are more women directors coming out and coming forward and doing these projects and pushing for these things and breaking barriers and breaking boundaries and yeah. and i'm excited that eventually you're going to be <laughs> one, one of, of them women, so. <laughs> i know and well and you you both are making movies right now and adding to that 
Well, that's our goal. Our hope. That's our hope. Like our hope mm-hmm. is to um, contribute something to the film industry that gives some sort of significance and importance and shows that you know we can make this you know, so to speak, in a man's world, you know, I, I hate saying that, but it's just to kind of show that, you know, we're here and we can, we can do this too. Yes. Well, I think it's, um, you know, in, in all the different areas and, uh, and I, 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 anybody that follows my Twitter feed, it's, it's very female centric as far as work where I'm, I love posting things about uh, women filmmakers and writers and cinematographers which there are not that many of but they are out there and doing brilliant work and and not that men aren't and and I, I feel like when I post things I get arguments from sometimes men uh, that you know just because somebody's a woman they shouldn't get the job and I don't think anybody's saying that I think like I'm certainly not I think that everybody makes their own breaks and everybody brings to the table their to the you know hopefully the best of their capabilities and um, you know, I, I feel like people are, it, it's it, people, because there's more women directing now, there's just people, I, I feel that there's, there's a little bit of pushback against it a little bit. Like, you know, they're just getting the jobs because they're a woman and, I, you know, which may very well be the case, but at some point we, there has to be an, an opening and, and, you know, and hopefully the best rises to the top, whether you are male or female, but you still need the balance of the female perspective because we make up more than half the population. (laughs) We need, we need to, you know, we need to hear female storytellers. And so I think I'm excited. I I think at Tribeca this year, um, women made up a huge percent of the short films um, that were submitted you know, as directors and writers. And I thought that was amazing. And then Heather Langenkamp and myself and the Saska sisters um, and a few other people are a part of the Women in Horror Film Festival in September in Atlanta this year, the first the first annual. And I could not be more excited um, to be a part of this inaugural film festival uh, at the end of September where... All the films being submitted, short or full length, are, are female-centric in the sense that they, they need to be at least produced by women or directed or written by women or a female story. They, they just, you know, um, I mean, it, anyway, it's amazing. And the, the submissions have been, I mean, there's just so many women out there making movies. So I cannot wait to spend three days just watching them all just to see what's out there and who's making what and meet all these fascinating filmmakers. It's going to be amazing. I, so everybody should look yeah. that up, the Women in Horror Film Festival in Atlanta at the end of September. Um, it's it's really it's really going to be something special, I think. We'll be sure to share that to our page. I know I, I just saw that the other day, and uh, it is really important to have that representation, but... Um, before we let you go, I hope you don't mind answering just a few fan questions. We had some submissions from uh, the fans of yours, and I just have a couple here that I would love to ask you. Oh my gosh, ask away. I, I want to hear them all. All right, all right. So up first, we have Jeremy Todd Moorhead. He says, or rather asks, what was it like working on the set of Shockma? Any interesting stories considering they filmed with a real monkey on set? Okay. Oh my gosh. Hi. Um, okay. There are so many funny stories about Shockma. Um, okay. First of all, not a monkey, a baboon. Just so <laughs> everyone's clear about that. Um, uh, okay. So Shockma. It was an amazing cast. Um, getting to meet Roddy McDowell was pretty extraordinary. And Christopher Atkins is just a doll and Ari Meyer and God, there were so many people. But uh, so Shockma, uh, I want to preface this with if people are a fan of the movie, there's a YouTube video that somebody put together that I just find incredibly delightful. It is, it's, it's all of us on the walkie talkie set to a song going over, over, over because apparently if you haven't seen the movie yet we all have walkie talkies we're in the midst of a game kind of like dungeons and dragons 
uh, where where scientists and college students um, uh, staying late at night playing this game that's like Dungeons and Dragons in the facility where Shockma is, and then you know mayhem ensues. But um, uh, we all have walkie talkies, and apparently we say over. A gazillion times, and so I. Anybody that loves the movie, I highly re- recommend looking for this video because it's it's pretty funny. But um, I was terrified of Shockma. Uh, there was Shockma had his Wrangler. There were electric uh, beam fences everywhere Shockma was, just to make sure. And I forget his real name. It was name wasn't Shockma, but uh, he his handler was his you know like chief uh head person and but we had a little shock school like we weren't supposed to make eye contact with him or you know do anything that he perceived as a threat and i'm thinking like why would we but um it, i was he regularly ran through his electric fence like he just was like i'm just gonna chase you and kill you so there's a scene where right my character's running down a long hallway and I have to bang into this bathroom swinging door and then lean against it to block shock mom. And so the director's only direction to me was don't slip after we release the monkey, the, the <laughs> baboon. So I was like, what? That's it? Like, I literally am going to be in the same hallway running down with this baboon chasing me who, you know, is getting all worked up because he's about to be let out. And I, I realize I'm in these slippery ballet flats. And I was like... I literally am going to die in this film. And so he. I was like, okay, I, I've been an athlete my whole life. I'm going to do the 50-yard dash faster than anybody that's won the Olympics. And so they say action. And I took off running for my life. And they released Shockma. And I hit the bathroom door. And there were two grips behind the door to hold the door closed when Shockma hit the door. Well, he hit the door so hard that... Two huge men and myself could barely keep the door closed, and then they had to cut, and the Wrangler came and stuff. So there was a lot of stories like that of possibly not the safest set <laughs> to have ever been on, um, but it was fascinating working with um, the bab- with the baboon. And I wish I could remember his name. He's also starred in other movies. He's he's quite he had quite the illustrious career. Um, <laughs> But it was, I felt, I mostly just felt really frightened. And Shockma sort of had a thing for me. So every time I looked at him, him in his direction, he'd be like wiggling his eyebrows at me and leaning up against the wall, sort of showing off his manliness to me. And I was like, I am literally going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be in grave danger if he gets let loose. So um, it was, it was many funny stories and then Christopher Atkins and I every night we were in a hotel in Orlando um we went and played miniature golf after work I I don't know why I remember that but we'd go play a round of miniature golf um probably to let off the shock mist steam and uh and I so I have very fond memories of that and um uh, so there I actually have really fond memories of doing that movie we were there for so long and uh uh it was just kind of funny. I, I, and I had nightmares every night that I was waiting for the elevator. And when the door opened, there was an alligator standing there. Not on the ground, standing there. So I don't know. It was some hybrid thing of being in Florida with the baboon. And so uh, I was tormented through that whole film. But it, with fond memories. <laughs> Florida is a, a terrifying place. I lived there for eight months. And I can, I can certainly say that it's, it's not somewhere I could possibly live without reenacting my own horror movie. But speaking of traumatic things happening in horror movies, this is a question from Troy Kingsbury, and it relates to Nightmare. So you spent hours upon hours filming the sequence of Tina's death from multiple angles, and there was a lot of violence and emotional turmoil. How did you react to that afterwards, and how did you emotionally deal with a sequence like that? Because your mind knows you're okay, but your body has gone through a lot. How did you kind of bounce back and, and, and try to recoup later that night or, or morning, depending on when you shot the scene? Well, that's a really interesting question. And no one's ever asked that question about the death scene. Kudos. Um, 
first I was going to, I want to preface it with, um, as an actor, whether it's a horror film or a drama or a thriller or a comedy, um, I like to try to just dive in and find the truth of the character and the character's arc. Um, so I never look at it like, oh, I'm making a horror film, so the acting will be this way. I try to immerse myself in it because I've, I feel that that helps move the story forward in a more dynamic way where people feel more engaged. And and it's I feel more, uh, that's just my training, and it's how I believe um, we help tell the, the story. Um, so in that scene, because, I mean, my initial training was on stage, doing more classic work and things like that. But early on, I started doing film. And, and you learn that every scene you do, no matter how emotional it is or how taxing it is or how uh, emotionally raw you have to be, you're going to have to do it multiple, multiple times. So you really learn how to, um, through your skill or training, how to stay in that frame of mind um, and do it from all the different angles and the different takes because there's always wide shots from different angles and two shots and close-ups and, you know, bonus shots if people, you know, want to try fancy things. So so there's that. So you learn it's part of the skill set to know how to create that environment and stay there in a healthy way. Um, and and sometimes you have to do it all day and you just, that's, that's your, that's your skill. Um, and so in that movie, because of the spinning room, you know, and, and Wes was so smart in that scene. I mean, that scene was so violent and sad and, uh, uh, brutal in so many ways. Um, and we had to figure out how to make it look like I was being dragged because in the beginning of that scene, I'm propelling myself forward. And so we kind of figured out I was athletic, so I could figure out how to do that um, as the room spun around. But at, at one, at some point in that process, I started getting incredibly disoriented and didn't know which way was up anymore. And so we were, you know, that kind of slowed things down. We had to stop. I had to calm down. But we figured out, you know, we just went went through it and so when it was done so I feel like we created a really dynamic um wow just a heartbreaking piece of film and I think that you know I, I feel really proud of the work that Wes directed me to do in that film um but afterwards I I was fine because it had been so challenging with my disorientation in that rotating room that when we were done, it completely flipped to like, that was amazing. We did it. That was so cool. It was such an adventure. So I completely just boom, done, gone. I felt really macho. I thought that was amazing. I had an outward bound experience and I passed and, um, you know, I was very young and, um, you know, you know, very enthusiastic. So, um, so I was able to walk away from that. Uh, although I still, to this day, I get, I, I think it messed up my inner ear a little bit, or I you know this isn't scientific cause I've never gone to a doctor, but like there are certain times if I do something, I'm like, Whoa. So, um, that's, that's the only holdover from doing the rotating room. <laughs> um, I am going to ask just one more question for you. And I am going to pick this question from Elena Tully. She asks, if Tina could have died in any other way, what would you choose? Actually, I'm going to add a little extra to that. Through the Elm Street films, uh, if you had Tina switch places with anybody else and have their death scene, what would it be? And would you even switch death scenes? Ooh, well... Gosh, I don't know. You know what? For because I'm going to preface this with I'm pretty happy with the role of Tina. I mean, obviously, it would have been more fun if it was the lead of the the movie, but it's turned out to be outside of Heather the most iconic female character in the franchise. So I think I'll stick with her. <laughs> um, as far as death scenes go. 
gosh. I mean, I feel like, I mean, no offense to true aficionados. I feel like so many of the death scenes became ludicrous at some point. Um, that's my opinion. I'm just, I'm sure it's, it's gotta be hard sitting there coming up with ways to kill cute young people. (laughs) (laughs) I might have to say, gosh, you know what? I think I'd just stick with mine. I think I would. I, 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 but if like, let's just say, because I'm obsessed with the movie Jaws, Mm -hmm. that if, if my character could have died by a shark, like a Freddy shark. Freddy just comes out of the bed. Yeah, Freddy shark. Yeah, like a shark. Yeah. That would that would because I'm obsessed with Jaws. That's my all time favorite <laughs> horror film. So I would say that that would have been really cool to like all of a sudden he was a shark and it was like what? Um, I'm just and, and kind of recreate the opening of Jaws. Ooh, that's really interesting. So in, instead of Nancy being in the bathtub, it's Tina and Freddy's a shark. Yes. Instead. I, I'm sure that people are like, shut up. But I'm, you, know, you asked, and that's my answer. <laughs> well, I love the answer. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us and offer your insight on horror, on Tina, and just on everything that you have worked on and you will be working on. I really appreciate this opportunity to have you on Elm Street Radio with Paige and I. Thank you. Thank you so much. It has been so wonderful to have you on. I just wanted to say that really quick because it really, it's just hearing you talk. It's like so great to hear these stories and and hear your output on things. You guys, both of you, thank you. And I'm so excited for both of you with all your projects and the art and entertainment that you're creating in the world. And I'm, I'm I adore both of you and I'm so grateful that you wanted me to be on and I loved our chat and I hopefully we'll do it again down the road. Maybe you'll get Heather and I on at the same time and you will have our, uh, we'll just have girl chat. Ooh, girl chat. Ooh, I like that. That'd be fun. Two best Sleep friends with two overs. best friends just yeah. chatting it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, before we end the episode, Amanda, if you could say, your favorite line in any of the Elm Street movies. We'll go ahead and we will close you out for this segment and we'll definitely have you back for Girl Talk. Aw, thank you. Um, How about... Did you have a nightmare too? Awesome. Well, (laughs) thank you so much, Amanda, once again. And thank you, Elm Street fans, for tuning in to this episode of Elm Street Radio. I'm Deandra. And I page. And remember to take your hypnosil so that you can stay away from Freddy Krueger. Until next time, <laughs> bye. bye.